Welcome to Kineo Stream of Thought. I'm Paul Westlake, Solutions Consultant at Kineo, and today we're talking about content curation. I'm pleased to say I'm joined by James Corey Wright, Head of Learning Design, Mark Harrison, Senior Consultant, Liz Smith, Lead Solutions Designer. So, James, maybe you can kick us off. What do we mean by content curation? It's uh, gathering together content that already exists, but putting it through a kind of uh, intellectual filter so that basically that content is appropriate for those who need it. Which means in many cases that you need to understand all the principles that you used to have to anyway when you're putting together a learning program, needs analysis, what the learners are, what kind of learning experience it should be. You could argue it's just an extension of of the learning that we're doing, but adding another level whereby you're grabbing stuff that's easily available and appropriate and then locking it in. Therein lies the problem, obviously, about content creation, is if you don't get it right, it just feels like a loose assembly of lots and lots of bits and bobs with too much emphasis on the learner having to differentiate between things. Yeah, uh, sorry, to my mind, when I think of it, I almost think there's going to be a ton of uh, Wikipedia articles that are added to my learning experiences, and I've got to pick and choose which ones are most appropriate for my role. And for some learners, that's fine. So we, 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 they, we move to the idea that, say, 10% of learners, 20% of learners who like browsing and exploring, this is ideal for them. But the people who want to have a structured learning experience... If you layer in more articles to read and more videos in the path that you were previously designed as a nice simple path for them to learn, then you're likely to slow them down, intimidate them, and maybe turn them off the whole thing. Um, I think um, also a large part of curation is about identifying the stuff that you don't offer, the stuff that you don't deliver. So if you curate a, um, you know, an exhibition in a museum or something, um, there's a huge amount of, of exhibits that aren't ever seen. Um, so it's about deciding, you know, what's good. So it's, you could say it's the 80-20. Who, who well, makes that decision? So surely if you think about it like an exhibition where you're curating content, um, there's normally uh, some kind of reason why they will leave things out. So they'll be looking at things in a chronological order or they'll be looking at things in a, um, you know, different themes maybe and having different rooms for different themes and the things that they leave out won't fit in with those. So how would we do that from a learning point of view, do you think? Um, well, personally, I think that you, you have to have... Um, I think you have a curator, to, it's a team. I don't think mm. you have one curator. I think it's a sort of two-sided thing. So in terms of our, our business, I think you have a, a curator um, who's in the organization that needs the content to be curated. And I think that they have an opposite number in an organization such as Kineo, who's a kind of learning designer, and that they, they work together um, so that you have the sort of insider and the outsider working together to constantly review um, and to analyze, um, look at the stats and, and analyze the data, um, review the content and throw away stuff that is basically becoming out of date or is um, nobody ever bothers to, to go there and introduce fresh material. I, I, I totally agree with this idea of a, a team looking at it because I think they're totally different skills. I, I think the content curation path is absolutely fascinating because Essentially, when you put it into a learning program, you have a, a learning path, a learning journey that you set out. You allow people to explore it, you know, so the confident learner can jump into places. But there's always a logical sequence that one should present. Otherwise, it's just Google. So you've got that kind of whole process of it's logically there. So the, the curation, curation idea 
has to be, in my opinion, about how much you feed those places as a little detours that you can go on and then come back in. What you can't do, I think, in my opinion, is just choose a hundred of the best objects and then just say, look, these are a hundred really good things, because no one is going to do that. That's not a path. That's not a journey. And, and that sort of, and we've talked in a previous podcast about sort of digital and, and everything, and I think that there's the, very much you have to have that human dimension is part of curation. It's, uh, there is a suggestion that somehow that curation is an electronic thing, mm. that it's just a, you know aggregation of uh, content. And I think that's the problem, that it, aggregation and curation get confused. But curation, like, as you're saying, Mark, will always involve people. Now, judgments need to be made and learners need to be considered. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I th the point I, th point I feel is important here is, is that someone could still take that argument and choose, I've chosen these really good articles. There still could be a hundred of them. Though. So what I'm saying is you have to take a step further. What you have to say is I've, I've now gathered that great content. I am now going to assemble it like in a great exhibition in an order and a process, which is not just a, an assembly of pictures or things. Yeah. There's a flow and a yeah. path. And that, I think, needs the skills of the learning designer that have always been there, that yeah. path. And I think it's appreciating that there's not just one path necessarily as well. Like the path might be different for different types of learners, people that respond to different types of information or, you know, different roles, different people within the organisation. I think you have to, you can see that there would be different paths. And in that case, it's almost about um, making kind of playlists for people. Um, so you could make kind of a suggested playlist that people might like, but then you also allow people to build their own playlists. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, again, thinking about how digitally savvy someone is and how inclined they are to learn. But maybe if you're an expert or a champion, you would be the person building up your playlist. And then a learner who was, uh, you know, less experienced might follow you as the first point of call. You know, they say, right, there's this great expert. They work in my role you know, I, I kind of aspire to be like them. I'm going to follow through all the content that they've looked at. And that gives you a starting point, at least, for choosing which is the, which is the best path for you. It's, it's really interesting listening to, to, to sort of three of you chatting because, to me, the first thing that came to mind was James saying there needs to be a bit of a human element in it. And, mm. and I, the first thing that came to mind for me was um, when Apple brought Apple Music to the table and everyone had been on Spotify forever and Spotify was doing everything Apple Music did and said, well, what was different? And one of the things that was totally different was they said, it's not all based around algorithms and what you like listening to. They pulled that together, but then ultimately the playlist, to your point, mm. are brought together by with a human touch going, actually, you like this and you might like this, therefore. And, I, and I, there is part of that where I, I think there is... They need that human interaction to say, actually, you know, I have looked at this stuff. And just because, you know, two videos have got the same title doesn't necessarily mean they're about the same topic, for example. Um, the other thing I would say with that about the human input and the human touch, that surely there's a huge uh, amount of potential curators in the learners themselves. So what are they looking at? And is there a way for them to sort of feed in information and feed in things that they've almost curated themselves and then that become part of the, the journey? I think we have the tension. We have a classic tension between a traditional model where, where some learning experts spend a lot of time working out what people need and putting together a programme that, that fits those needs. And then we have the other tension, which is basically all about, all about the learner and all about a new generation of learner who creates playlists, right? I don't create playlists. I'm 50 years old, yeah? So, but anyone who's, who's maybe 25 would instinctively do what Liz is talking about. So it is important that the people in L&D teams do recognise that and have in their teams 
younger people who will say this is what they will do. Because my instant reaction would be, oh my God, are, we, are you saying that someone could actually now set up some profiles and variables? That Aren't there people out there who just want to say these three things? I would personally, from a curation system, say, give me one article to read this week. Just tell me. I trust you. Yeah. This is the best thing that's coming out now. I've only got 15, 20 minutes. For me to put in filters and profiles and everything else to get two or three articles to choose from, that's too much. Yeah, you want something to do that for you, absolutely. Yeah. Cut down the noise. And I think that issue of trust is crucial as well. So who do you trust to do that? Is that the L&D expert who knows, you know, what the best learning content? Is that the person, you know, your peer, someone that you sit next to, who, mm. who know, you, you feel confident that you trust? Is that um, an expert in your field? So it's thinking about who are, who are those people in those positions of trust that you're then going to say, yeah, I like you. I like your thinking. I'll follow what you say. Yeah, I think there's a bit of an intersection into social learning mm. there. And, um, and you've, uh, Wester, you've sort of touched on a, a good point there that um, the people and people that you trust uh, is that people can grade you know, things yeah. mm. um, according to how much they trust the expert. And so you can get homegrown experts uh, springing up who are essentially are curators. I think that's the really subtle thing we're talking about here, which again I think is a challenge to anyone who is responsible for ensuring that people in their organisation meet the capabilities that they have to do the jobs. It boils down in the end to, we got a whole bunch of people, they need to have these skills and these behaviours, how do we get there? I think the the excitement about a world in which peers are all recommending what they're doing is, is absolutely right to tap into, and it's natural. However, it makes life way harder for someone to genuinely say, at the end of the day, what we've delivered here and what we've invested in is actually going to improve these skills and behaviours. Can, can I just say, and again, I'll devil's advocate a little bit here, and, and obviously coming from a, a background of working in a, in a corporate L&D team for a, a long, long time uh, back in the past, I can see that making people really nervous. So as an L&D professional, I'm now thinking, okay, well, I'm not really creating courses as such. I'm putting together stuff that's already out there. I'm asking my learners to help me with that and for them to tell me where the content is. Surely I'm going to get to a point where I think, I'm not actually quite sure what I'm doing anymore. Is my role from a creator gone and I've become a curator? Are there different skills that are required for that in an L&D team? Yeah, and I, and I think this is the crux of the 70-20-10 discussions that people have been embracing for several years now. The reality is that 70% is difficult to manage. It happens. Uh, there's a huge amount of trust that you have to have the people around you. And I think there are many organisations where people are fearful of letting that go and, and having the, 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 the mass knowledge of the people affecting what you're doing. I think, however, some of the curation tools out there that have an element where they bring in trusted um, curators out there in the marketplace feeding into some of the tools, they will spin out useful stuff. Mm. But it goes back to this whole idea in the end is who in the ultimately is, is assembling that final thing that's put in front of people. Yeah. And how is that created as a learning experience? I think that's what I, I think of instead of how I could be consuming tons and tons of information, but how do I put that to practice in my job? How do I know like the application of that knowledge and the application of those skills? And I think that's where the real learning element comes into it. And, and it's about testing some of those things. So creating challenges, games, assessments that really tap into, right, have you managed to um, 
from all the things that you've consumed, have you managed to draw out what are the things that are the really important ones? And do you know how to put those into practice? Identifying your objectives in the first place. Yeah. How, how can we measure that? Okay, yeah. And then sense. increasingly um, helping to make sense of the, of the world, if you like, because um, uh, the, the world of information, um, and we, we've talked about this before, there's the difference between information and learning. You know, there is a big, big mm. learning content. There, there is a big difference. To me, it boils down to that one. We, everyone in the L&D community needs to be much cleverer about recognising the difference between information and learning and moulding them together and coming up with a complete solution. And curation is just one of those tools that can help you put together stuff, the actual tools themselves, but ultimately the curator, if they're in the learning mm. environment, which I think Liz is absolutely right in saying that, is to emphasise that, is what you're presenting to people is still a learning environment. And it may be all the right things, but if in the end it doesn't actually enable someone to work their way through that material, because there's too much maybe, or whatever it is, then you're no, doing no favours to the learner. Well, maybe that's a good exercise then. So for an internal team, would a good starting point to actually take stock and say, what, what have we actually got? What information have we got? Because I mean, I think a, a lot of internal teams have a ton of information and they've produced courses over the years and, and it's rare for anyone to sort of stop and say, actually, we don't need that one anymore. Let's take it out. And, and we tend to find that stuff when maybe someone comes to us and wants a, you know, a new learning management system and that's almost the, the driver to then say, well, actually, let's stop and look at these 1,500 courses we've got and see which ones are still relevant. I'm sure there's stuff in there that might be, and that will help them maybe identify the gaps and then maybe fill that gaps by curating other content that's so already there. that's the curator as auditor as well. Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, at the, at the bottom of all this is the fact that there's so much stuff. There's never been so much stuff as there is now. And I did mention it at the beginning about it's as much about sort of taking away all the old stuff so people can see the wood for the trees. And I think it's about that time element that you mentioned at the beginning, James, as well. So it's constantly changing. So it's not a case of, right, we'll do an assessment now. We'll put up a curated course for people. You know, it's got loads of different parts to it. Brilliant. So we'll go back in two years and review that, shall we? No, everything's changing. Information is constantly changing. Things are constantly being updated. It doesn't mean that the key core skills that you need for that role are changing. You know, your management, your leadership skills, your specific task skills, they're going to be the same. But the, the different theories are changing the information is changing so it has to be an ongoing process it's not a one-stop shop absolutely uh, and but I think there's t if there's two tips I would think for anyone who's doing this whole process is they've got to think about what those objects are going to be that they pull up they were never designed for that learner in this situation they are unlikely to fit perfectly mm. so you have to write stuff around it so there used to be this idea of reusable learning objects. And then there were other bits that weren't reusable, but they were the bits that added those things together. You have to write them, you have to put them together. But, and here's the final piece in Jigsaw, some of those objects might be pretty good, but not quite. Yeah. So are you going to go in and change the PowerPoint that was written two years ago? Are you going to re-edit that video that was pretty good, but it's got the wrong branding? Ultimately, there's going to be a huge requirement, I think, to revisit some of the curated objects because a lot of them aren't going to sit well. Which is, um, uh, and, and picks up on what Liz is saying as well, is it, it's very, very much about an ongoing thing. And I did sort of say about this, two, it's a you know, two-sided coin. You've got the internal uh, person who's sort of on, there on the ground and knows what's going on, and you've got the external agency, such as ourselves, who are the learning 
learning designers and are constantly reviewing every single day uh, and adapting and adjusting learning content. So the role then of the um, L&D experts, as you say, Paul, it isn't, they aren't just gathering stuff together. It's about identifying those gaps and then working out what content needs to be created to fill those gaps. And that's a really crucial role that that L&D expert would be taking. Well, thanks again for your time today. Um, if you want to continue this conversation or pick up with us, we're available on Twitter, at Kineo, or get in touch via our website at kineo.com.